page 454, Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Uh, Please turn now also to James chapter 3. Verse 13 is on page 855. James 3.13 Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness." Well, I'd just like to... Uh, oh, gosh, that's extremely loud, isn't it? I'd just like to uh, repeat Steve's welcome to you uh, to Church by the Bridge tonight. Uh, it's really great to have you along, whether you're a regular here or whether this is your very first time or wherever you sit in between on that band. It is great to see you here tonight as we come to listen to God's Word as he speaks to us through the book of James. But because we're human beings and we find it hard to listen all the time because God says difficult things in the Bible... Sometimes he just says strange things in the Bible. It's important that we ask him now as I try and explain it to to you, pardon me, uh, that we pray and that we pray that he soften our hearts and sharpen our minds. So why don't I do that now? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you do speak to us. Thank you that you haven't left us in the dark. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your scriptures. We pray now that as we come to wrestle with them, and to wrestle with you that we might always keep in perspective who we are, that we might be wise, recognising that you are God and that you are to be feared, and that we are your creatures who are to obey and love you, but still knowing that that is the best thing for us, the best thing for others and the best thing for you. Please help me to explain it clearly 
simply and humbly. Amen. Well, uh, if you've been coming along here to Church by the Bridge for the past few weeks, you will know that we've been going through the book of James and we've been working through this letter that James has written to his recipients piece by piece. And James has been dealing with a whole kind of smorgasbord of extremely practical issues. He's been dealing with how to deal with suffering. He's been dealing with how best to listen to people and to God. He's been dealing with those tricky issues of favouritism and that perennial favourite, at least with me, controlling your tongue. But now as we come to this short little section that has been read out to us before, he comes to an abrupt stop. Any continuity that was going through the letter seems to basically screech to a halt here and he immediately starts with a new topic. Well, it's kind of a new topic because in some ways it's a coverall. It's been mentioned here and there in the letter so far and it will be as it goes on. But it's a topic that for James is of vital importance. And that is the topic of wisdom. Now, this may come as a surprise, but wisdom is actually a vital topic for all of us. Now, I say that it may come as a surprise because wisdom as a word is not one that really gets bandied around in our world, in our culture very much. When you think of someone who's wise, you almost certainly have certain connotations that kind of immediately spring to mind. When I think of someone who's wise, I think of someone who is old. They almost always have to have grey hair, uh, whatever hair they have left of it. Um, they're the kind of person who is never really going to make any rash decisions. They're never going to say spontaneously, hey, let's go out to the movies. They're just going to be a slow, steady, plodding kind of a person. They're not the kind of person who's going to be spontaneous. They're not the person who you really want to have over for dinner. You might want to go into their office once or twice to kind of ask them a few hints, but once you've actually got the information you want, chances are you're going to retreat. Wisdom sound exciting. It doesn't sound dynamic. It doesn't really appeal to us. Or does it? Because we all need wisdom and we all love it. We just don't call it wisdom. We call it advice. And in our world, it is impossible to get by without it. In fact, increasingly so, it seems impossible to do anything, go anywhere, or think anything without asking someone's advice beforehand. Entire service industries are turned over to wisdom. So before you go and make your investments in the stock market, you go and talk to a financial planner. Before you go overseas, you go and talk to a doctor to get their wisdom on the best thing to do. You're buying a house and so you go and talk to a solicitor who'll run any number of checks that you've never even heard of before to make sure that you're not buying a lemon. They're the big things. But wisdom's important at the little stage as well. If I'm going on holiday, I, can't, I don't feel anymore that I can go without having looked, looked through Lonely Planet to work out all the best possible hotels, all the best spots to go, so much so that if I go outside of it, I actually feel kind of a bit guilty that, I haven't actually, that I've actually had my own holiday rather than having someone else's holiday. I ride into college every morning on my bicycle. It's the first time I've ridden really since the 90s, so it's a pretty slow process. And I'm not by any means, but I ride through a park where I see people doing push-ups, which they could probably work out to do on their own, and yet are paying what I can only presume are exorbitant sums to a personal trainer, who as far as I can tell is told to shout the wisdom of, give me 20. We can't seem to do anything without wisdom, without advice. Wisdom is really crucial to the way we live. Which makes us ask another question. How do we know a wise person when we see them? 
How do we discern wisdom? Not only how do we discern wisdom in other people, how do I know if I'm wise? What does wisdom look like? You see, because the way the Bible defines wisdom, and in the way many people, in fact, define wisdom, is simply the ability to take all the information that you need to make a decision so that you can act in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. I'll say that again. The way the Bible and many other people define wisdom is being able to take all the information you need to make a decision to act in the right way at exactly the right time. Now, who do you spot? How do you spot, rather, the people who are able to do that? And how do you know if you're able to do it? Well, in some areas of life, it's really easy to spot the wise people. The financial planners are easy to spot because they have financial planner on the outside of their doors. The relationship people who have got really good wisdom there, well, they're your counsellors in this world. The financial kind of, you know, bigwigs, not necessarily the advisors, but the stock market people, well, we know who they are because they live in big buildings. But what about the spiritually wise? How do I know what spiritual wisdom is? How do I know what wisdom is in God's eyes? And how do I know what a spiritually wise person looks like? I suppose in this church here I could adopt the tactic that James appears to in verse 13. Look with me uh, as we go through it now. I could simply ask, who is wise and understanding among you? And then ask for a show of hands. But the chances are that you're never going to do it. And I don't think James really expects you to either. As will become clear as we go through it, it's a rhetorical question. But it's an important question. We want to know what wisdom is as far as God is concerned. We want to know who to go to, who the go-to person is in church when we want advice. See, we may not always think wisdom is that important. We might think that we can live in the moment, that we can do this or that or whatever. But when the friend comes to you and confesses that he's cheated on his wife but he's desperate to keep it from her for the sake of the kids, what do you do? When you have been offered the awesome job overseas with all the trappings that that comes with, but it means leaving the church at which you're one of the core members, what do you do? Wisdom is important. It is vital for us. And so we must know what it looks like, both in ourselves and in other people. And so, if you're the kind of person who kind of takes notes, I'll just be doing this in two points. We'll be going, uh, first of all, looking at verses 13 to 14, talking about two types of wisdom, and in the rest of the passage, two sources of wisdom. First of all, two types of wisdom. Verse 13, James asks again, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible by his amazing ability to parse Greek verbs, by his incisive argumentative style. Oh no, I, I mustn't have brought my glasses with me because it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So what's wisdom? Well, it doesn't exactly define exactly what wisdom is. But it does tell us what to look for in someone who claims to be wise. That if these things aren't here, they're not really who they say they are. And the two things that I think it messages here 
are to do with behaviour and to do with attitude. Firstly, let's do with behaviour. Let him show it, this wisdom, by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The person who is wise, according to James, will show it not necessarily just by what they know, but by what they do. They will act well. Now, at the very least, that's got to tell us that wisdom must consist of more than just intelligence. Intelligence isn't the be-all and end-all of life, which I think is a message which us as a church largely made up of young, successful, professional people really need to hear. Intelligence is not the only indicator of success. How smart you are, whether you're the smartest guy in the room, the go-to guy, the it girl, in the office, in your social group, at your gym, that doesn't matter. No, no, there's far more to wisdom than intelligence. And in fact, haven't we seen that over the past century? With the 19th century, you saw philosophically an increasing move towards thinking that education would solve the ills of society. That if people knew more and were better educated, could read and write, then people would become better. It was this thoroughly optimistic view of human society. And yet at just the time in the 20th century, now the 21st, when education rates in the world have never been larger, are people any nicer? Do wars occur less frequently? Well, it seems quite the opposite. People, humanity has never known more about the universe than it does now. And yet it seems only to use that information to hurt others, and ultimately to hurt itself. It's got to be more than intelligence. No, the wise person does good things. But they don't just do good things. There's a certain way they go about doing it that really shows that they're wise. And you can see it there in the second half of verse 13. Let me read it to you again. Let him show it, or her show it, by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You see, wisdom doesn't just come, doesn't just result in good works. It also makes you humble. Wisdom makes you a meek person. It makes you humble. Now, just to clarify, I need to make sure that we have the biblical understanding of humble right here. Very often, when we think of the word humble, we think of someone who tells lies. And what I mean by that is someone says, you're a really good cook. And you say, oh, no, I'm not, when actually you're a sensational cook. Uh, now, that is not humility. That is just delusion. For someone who comes along to the Taj Mahal and speaks to the builder and says, wow, that is really something, and he says, oh, this is something I whipped up. It's nothing. You don't say, what a humble man, you call the nurse. No, that's not what humility means according to the Bible. No, humility is recognising what you'll get at, but not keeping it to yourself. Humility is using your skills and your abilities that God has given you, not for yourself, not selfishly, but for the service of others and ultimately for the service of God. If you're wise and understanding, you know the Bible backwards, you know all the deep things of God, how will you show it? How will you know it? Will you be cleaning the toilets? You'll be helping the person whom you've never met before and would normally never associate with. You won't be too proud to talk to that person whom you really don't like. 
and you won't be too busy to not help the person in need. But why? Why does wisdom mean these things? Why does knowing how everything fits together, if we go back to our definition of wisdom, why does knowing all this stuff so that you can do the right thing at the right time, why does that result in good works, in humility? Knowing how the stock market doesn't necessarily works doesn't necessarily lead to that. Even knowing how relationships fit together doesn't necessarily lead to that. What is it about godly wisdom that does that? Well, I think it's got to do with the content of what the Christian knows. It's not just knowing stuff that makes you do good things and be humble. It's the content of what you know. Because when James talks about wisdom here, he's not just talking into a vacuum. Wisdom is not a category that his audience is unfamiliar with. Rather, they're steeped in it from their Old Testament past, particularly from books like Proverbs. Now, we had Proverbs 9 read out to us before. And you will have noticed a particular thing there, that it contains all sorts of advice about how to live and how to behave. And the whole book of Proverbs is absolutely stuffed full of that stuff. It's all about how to do the right thing at the right time in the right way. And yet you notice where it all begins in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. That what's the beginning of wisdom? If you want to start to be wise, where do you start off? Where's the beginning? It says the fear of the Lord is wisdom. The fear of God is how you get smart for this world. Now again, a little caveat. Fear here, I don't think, means abject terror. Not that abject terror would be inappropriate when it came to meeting God. Let's not soft soap and make God out to be a grandfather, the kind of person who I mentioned in the introduction. You go to, you ask for something, and then you get out as quickly as you can. Oh, no. No, God is the sovereign, shimmering creator of the universe, everything you can see and that you can't see. He's worth fearing. But in this context, I think he's talking about reverent awe. That when I come to see God for who he is then I'll come to see who I am and my place in his universe. I'll come to understand my part in the world. And that will make me humble. Even more so when we think about exactly what it is that this God has done. Because remember from Proverbs 9.10, it doesn't just say the fear of a deity. It says the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, the fear of the God of the Bible. And that God has done amazing things for his people. Up on the, uh, the screen should come a verse from uh, Exodus 14. Exodus 14. They've just come through the Exodus, oddly enough, given the book that it's Exodus in. Let me read it to you. Exodus 14, I'll start at verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Egyptians saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You see, the people of Israel who are listening to these proverbs, and us now, we fear God because we know him. He's the God who has made himself known. And he's the God who has made himself known in mighty acts of salvation, in fact, in the Old Testament, you don't get an act of salvation bigger than the one that's just described here in Exodus. God saves them, 
and the people fear the Lord and put their trust in him. They're humble before him. And because they're humble before him, they obey him. Let me read to you Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. It should come up there as well. They've come through now. They're about to enter the land. And Moses says this, These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land and you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. You see, the fear of God makes you humble. And the fear of God makes you want to obey him. But it's not because you're terrified. It's because you stand in awe of the one who has saved you, who has stooped down to earth to rescue you. So it's no wonder, is it, that James says that when you are wise, when wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, that it will be shown by a good life, by obedience, like in Deuteronomy, or humility, like the fear of the Lord in Proverbs and Exodus. And it's shown up all the more in verse 14, isn't it? The, the, the kind of the inverse of that, the opposite, verse 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. You see, you might be the kind of person who knows all this, who knows all the verses I've read out and all the verses I haven't, who just knows the Bible absolutely back to front, who knows everything about how the Bible works, all the ways of God. And yet they don't fear him. They don't fear him and as a result, they treat their knowledge not as a way of serving him and serving his people, but as simply a way of getting ahead, of selfish ambition. And when that selfish ambition is thwarted by other people in the church or their work context or wherever, they get envious, bitterly envy, envious. You see, that kind of person clearly doesn't fear God. And James says, don't boast about that wisdom. If you boast about that kind of wisdom, effectively you're just telling lies about God. Or in the words of James, you deny the truth. Now what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to be wise in this regard? Well, I've just got three implications. First of all, it doesn't mean that knowing your Bible or being intelligent or being wise in a worldly way, and, you know, not a, not a bad way, just to kind of, you know, you know how things work. It doesn't mean that that's bad. He never actually says here, who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, no, you're not. He just says, if you're wise and understanding, then use it. Now, if that's you, if you are a person in this church who really is a mature Christian, who does know the Bible well, who does have a deep relationship with God, don't be embarrassed about what you know. Rather, be humble and use it to serve others. It's not a bad thing to do it. It's okay to be the go-to guy or the it girl in your Bible study if you're using what you know about God humbly in a way that promotes good deeds, that serves other people, that never draws attention to yourself but only points attention towards Christ where it belongs. But secondly, it also means that for those of us who are in that position, whoever we are, 
People who feel this way about themselves also need to be careful. Are you wise and understanding? Are you that person? Well, show it by your good deeds and your humility. You need to show it in the way you deal with people at church, the way you debate at Bible study, the way you talk to newcomers, what your attitude towards putting away the chairs after church is or not, whether you're above cooking dinner or below it. It's got to actually hit the road, doesn't it? Because that's how people will know that you're wise. For those of us who aren't in that situation, who can, are kind of looking around for advice, for looking for someone who's kind of wise, well, this is important as well, isn't it? Because it tells us who to look for. It's particularly important when it comes to choosing leaders, isn't it? In so many ways, our churches trying so hard to marshal good resources against the intellectual battles we've been fighting for the past hundred years, we have elevated human reason and intellect to an absolute pedestal in our churches. The best guys for our churches are the smartest guys in our churches. Well, it's just not necessarily true. If it comes to voting for a pastor in any church you're in, if it comes to looking for someone to mentor you or someone to lead you in a Bible study, please don't just look at their credentials. Don't just look at what they know. But look at what they do and look at the way that they do it. But thirdly, what if you just don't feel like James is talking to you at all? Who's wise and understanding among you? Well, it's certainly not me. I've only been a Christian for six months. I've only been a Christian for six days. I can't read very well. I really struggle with Bible study. I find these things difficult. And to be frank, I just really don't even know if I fit in here at all. Well, this is a comfort for you, isn't it? Because wisdom and understanding are not something that the brainiacs and the pointy heads have some kind of monopoly on. Wisdom and understanding is for everyone. James himself says in verse, chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God wants you to fear him, to love him, to serve him, to be humble and joyful. And that is for everyone here. That leads me to my second and much shorter point. Because we've seen that there are two types of wisdom. But as we read on in verses 15 to 18, we see that it's more than just a matter of whether you're clever or not, whether you're wise or foolish. It's really got to do with who you're taking your orders from. Because when talking about the wisdom, the false wisdom in verse 14, James goes on and says this, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You see here, James broadens our vision even further. Wisdom, it would seem, is no longer just a private affair. 
I can't just sit away in my study understanding all these things. I can't even just do good deeds here and there. Be humble. No, wisdom is not just a passive thing. Wisdom is an active thing. Wisdom is there to promote unity. You can see it there in verses 15 to 16, in particular in 16, we see the, obvious, the opposite of that. The kind of wisdom that James is opposing, the wisdom of selfish ambition that really just looks after itself, is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. And what are the results? Well, there in that place, you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, well, that's quite different, isn't it? That's full of purity. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and it's sincere. Peacemakers who sow in that kind of peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Do you notice how none of these things can actually be done in isolation from other people? It's impossible to be considerate if you never meet anyone. It's impossible to be submissive if you have no one to, be, to submit to. You can't be full of mercy without someone to forgive. You can't be impartial if you have no one to choose between. You can't be sincere unless there's someone you could have lied to. No, peace is not a passive thing. Peace is an active thing. Wisdom is an active thing. If we as a church, if we as individual church members are really wise, really, really know where we stand, know that in the big scheme of things, we are not at the centre of the world. We can't get away with selfish ambition. We're just too small. But that in God's grace, he has saved us. He has redeemed us by his mighty works in history. His mighty works in history shown to their most full extent in the sending of his only son, Jesus, to be totally humiliated on the cross for us. And that is not a wisdom we will just want to keep to ourselves. It is not a wisdom just concerned with how we get by. We will want to share it. We will want to walk and work in a way that actively promotes peace. Promotes peace not just in this church, but in this suburb. Wise people are people who want to see the news of Jesus spread and want to see the peace that he brings spread. It will mean making contact with this suburb. It will mean getting involved in Connect 09, making contact with our neighbours. It's doing things like Clean Up Australia Day. It's doing things like helping out at the food van. It's doing things like sitting down with the senile people at James Milson who might barely even know you're there. And yet, wisdom demands activity. Not just sitting back, but being involved, going out, actively being involved in our society and making peace. That's wisdom. And that's what we should be striving for. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we know that when we really look at ourselves in the mirror of Scripture, that we are not nearly so important as we think we are. That we really have no place getting away with selfish ambition or stupid, petty envy because we are part of something so much bigger. That if we are going to take 
all the things we need to know into account in this world, if we're going to be wise, the biggest thing we have to take into account is you. And because of what you've done by redeeming us through your son Jesus, because of who you are, God Almighty, the right response in this world, the way to be wise, is to fear you, to love you and to serve you because of that, to love and serve others actively, humbly, promoting peace. Please help us now to think hard about how we might do that. If we feel convicted, please let us not be afraid of coming to you for forgiveness, but please get us on our knees praying, saying that we're sorry for the way we've acted, the way we've thought about ourselves. Please help us as individuals in a church to see how we can go out and serve other people, reaping a harvest of righteousness as we make peace both amongst ourselves and outside. And we thank you most of all for, for you who have made this all possible through sending your son Jesus to die and to rise again on our behalf. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.